Point of Order podcast, an inside look at California politics in the state legislature. I'm your host, Assemblyman Josh Hoover, and I'm joined once again today by our co-host, Assemblyman Greg Wallace uh, from the 47th Assembly District in Palm Springs. How's it going, Greg? Going very well, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And, uh, you know, happy to be up here in Sacramento and back to session. Yeah. Thanks for coming back on. We didn't scare you off last time. (laughs) No, you tried your best, (laughs) but uh, you can't get rid of me that easily. So how speaking of back to session, so how's it going so far? Like we're we obviously you and I both got elected in um, a year ago, about sworn in a, a little over a year ago and uh, finished our first year. How, how did your first year go and how are you feeling about this year? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, first year was great. You and I both obviously have a uh, staff background, so got to mm-hmm. uh, come up here with a little bit of background knowledge, but there, there were definitely some things that I wasn't aware of and, and learned <laughs> about pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, back up in year number two, no one warned me that we just jump right back into it. It's uh, off to yeah. a, a quick start. Yeah, no, it's been, uh, it's been pretty interesting so far. Um, a lot going on. I know we'll talk a little bit today about the tackle football stuff that went down last week and then um, a lot of public safety stuff going on and obviously a giant budget deficit that we have to deal with as a state. So, you know, a lot of lot of major topics that are uh, that are already, you know, uh, coming before us. So it's been pretty, pretty quick. Yeah, no, sure. absolutely. A lot of challenges for us to address this year and uh, yeah. th- the work has already begun. So that's good. Yeah. And then we're also both on the Problem Solvers Caucus. So I feel like that's been going pretty well, and and you know we might actually see some some uh, some progress this year on some some public safety issues. So. Yeah, no, I, I love that group, the Problem Solvers <clears throat> Caucus. I know last year we um you know had a lot of new members and yeah. uh, a lot of folks just getting their feet wet in it, but I, I think year number two here for us is going to be really fantastic. Yeah, it'll be good. It's interesting. Like yeah, that first year you are kind of trying to figure out where uh, where you can push and where you can kind of you know. Uh, find consensus, right? So I think we've definitely uh, figured some of that out, which is exciting. So let's get into, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what went on in the last week in the legislature and and in California politics. But, you know, one of the big stories for me, um, because this is something that I've been working on a lot, was um, this, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear this case from Oregon, the Grants Pass case, um, that's going to uh, impact whether or not local jurisdictions and cities can clear homeless encampments and the rules surrounding that. Uh, back in 2018, there was a um, a ruling, the Boise versus Martin case, that basically said that you couldn't clear homeless encampments unless um, there was housing for each of those individuals available. Um, it really was a broad brush, I think, that made it really difficult for lo- local jurisdictions to enforce their policies uh, and actually help folks get off the street. And so I think uh, this is a a big deal. The Supreme Court uh, denied hearing that case uh, many years ago, a few years ago, and have actually accepted this grants pass case. Um, So I don't know if you had any thoughts on it or if this is an issue in your community. I know it is in mine. Yeah, no, I mean, it's an issue throughout the state of California. And, you know, you're you're seeing these homeless encampments really, I mean— they're open air drug scenes. It's not. It's not a. It's a public safety concern. Yeah. And it's a public health crisis. And to have our local, you know, our localities have their hands tied and not be able to take action, I think, is uh, to the detriment not not just our communities, but you know, the folks who find themselves in those situations. And I don't think it's a very compassionate approach to allow yeah. people to live out on on the street like that. And so, 
you know, obviously excited that the Supreme Court's willing to take this up. I don't know that, you know, the governor's ever been uh, thrilled about having a conservative majority on the court, but maybe uh, <laughs> maybe this will change his mind. It, I mean, speaking of that, I mean, that's been kind of the most fascinating part about this whole uh, case is Newsom, the Governor Newsom has been very, like, supportive of this. And his reaction was, he said, California's invested billions to address homelessness, but rulings from the bench have tied the hands, to your point, of state and local governments to address the issue. The Supreme Court can now correct course and end the costly delays from lawsuits that have plagued our efforts to clear encampments and deliver services to those in need. I mean, like, how how weird is this, right? Like, you've got a court that he very regularly criticizes that he is now fully supporting in, in acting on this case, and, and, and I think he's right. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I think it just goes to show you that, you know, in, in politics, sometimes there's interesting bedfellows, right? But yeah. Uh, yeah. On, on this issue, I think we can all agree that uh, we want to work with the administration and work with the governor on, yeah. um, you know, how we can address that issue, because it really, I mean, this isn't partisan, right? This is an issue that uh, impacts all of our, our communities here in California. So. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's such an important one, and this, you know, particular case— I think is only one part of the equation, right? I mean, there's a lot of other things that have to be done to solve the homelessness crisis. But getting rid of uh, kind of the red tape here, I think is really important so that we can actually start getting people into programs and getting people back on their feet. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see. I don't, I don't know the timeline for when the Supreme Court is supposed to decide this, but I'm really grateful that they've, uh, they've decided to, uh, to take this up. Um, I think it was a few um, a, f- a few months ago when the new federal numbers came out, and and they said that California is now home to forty nine percent of the unsheltered homeless population in the entire nation, which is pretty mind blowing statistic when you think about it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I it's mean, it's nuts. But you know, the, is it a surprise? I mean, we've all we've yeah. all been out in our communities. We've all been to L.A., San Francisco, and, yeah. and you see it everywhere you go now. And it's, it's really something we do need to take seriously. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, this will be a step in the right direction. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought it was interesting that um, there's a, a lot of elected officials on both sides of the aisle that um, kind of made supportive comments of the Supreme Court taking this case. But one, the one that didn't was uh, LA Mayor Karen Bash. She actually kind of poured some cold water on it and and said that she wasn't really a big fan of this. So I, I thought that was that's kind of unfortunate for Los Angeles because it makes me worry about how they're going to be responding to the homelessness situation down there. But yeah, that no, that's fascinating. But I mean, you know, look, the Supreme Court isn't going to rule on this in a partisan manner. They're going to yeah. look at the yeah. merits of the case, and um, you know, depending on how they how they make a determination here, it's going to be on us as policymakers to yeah. um, put the you know put good policies in place to help out here for sure. So. Look forward to uh, updating uh, listeners on that in the future. Uh, speaking of back to session, we we also had, um, you know, in, in the legislature, you, you've got bills that you introduce uh, in the first year of a two-year term. We're now uh, entering the second year of a two-year cycle, um, and uh, we've got these things called two-year bills that, you know, for bills that didn't get worked out in the first year, you can bring them back in January um, and a bunch of those just got discussed and debated in policy committees and fiscal committees the last couple of weeks. Um, you and I had a bill, AB 1408, um, that uh, sought to give kids more 
opportunities and options in their education. Do you want to talk briefly about the bill? I know you you took the lead on it, but I'm a big fan of the bill as well and and signed on as well. Yeah, no, appreciate you being a joint author on that. We we obviously introduced this bill last year. We got it, you know, unanimously through education committee on a bipartisan vote. Um, and it was unfortunately held on the suspense file in, in appropriations. Yeah. Um, you know, this year we were able to bring the bill back. Actually, it was a different language in it. The chair of education yeah. committee asked us to gut and amend it. You know, it, it is very rare that you get two bites of the apple here in, <laughs> uh, in Sacramento. But when when the policy committee asks for that, it was something that we you know, we obviously said, yeah, let's let's move forward with it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, with the change in uh, the committee makeup, we got it again through unanimously on a bipartisan vote. And so it was disappointed to see uh, it, it held up in yeah. uh, on the suspense file again. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know what that means for this idea of school choice going forward. You know, yeah. our, our bill was was very limited, very narrow in scope. It was low performing students and low performing schools have the ability um, to seek a transfer out of their district. Yep. And yep. all it really did was prevent the school you were leaving from holding you there. Yeah. Um, well, and this is the crazy thing about California education policy that a lot of people don't really realize is that, you know, the districts really have. Um, a lot of control over, you know, what students can go where. And so if you're a student uh, that lives in one school district, for example, and maybe your your parent works in another school district, right, and they want to send their child to the district over there, well, that district can easily say, sure, come on over. But the the home district where you live has the right to either approve or veto whether you get to leave their district and and there's very limited cases where they can't do that. And so we were trying to expand on that concept where, like, look, if you are a low-performing student who really could use a, a better academic option in another district, um, you know, that this district, your home district, has no right to veto that transfer, right? Yeah, and absolutely. So yeah. And, and I think, look, we all appreciate, you know, a more holistic approach. So we don't have these low-performing schools in California. Um, but the reality is that could take years. And even if it was able to get done in five years, five years is a long time in a yeah. kid's K through 12 educational uh, career. And, you know, where this bill came from or why I was so passionate about it is my wife's a high school teacher. And when we had two years of yeah. remote learning, um, you saw kids coming back into the classroom with, um, you know, needs that they didn't have before. And not all the schools were uh equipped to to deal with that. So we just wanted to be able to help those kids out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, you know, I, I think I said this in the committee hearing, actually, but if you're affluent, you've got the ability to move your kid to a private school. Heck, you Absolutely. could even pick up your house and buy in a different zip code. But it's those most disadvantaged kids in California that we really were trying to trying to give a path, um, you know, to a better education because, you know, that's the foundation of uh, of their future. And that's the next generation of Californians. So it's it's so important that we help them. So, yeah. again, disappointed it got held. But, you know, we'll keep working on it. I'm sure you and I will come up. With oh, something for sure. Else. We'll keep going. I mean, to your I mean, it's it's really can't say it any better. I mean, the school choice really does exist to people with means, right? And and it's really the kids that aren't able to to do that, to move or to go to private school or find some other option um, that they get harmed by, by you know, failing schools. And so I think, um, you know, to, to that point, though, to your point about struggling schools, I mean, obviously, yes, we want to lift up all of our schools, right? Um, is EdSource just did this report um, that actually ranked California below a, a number of states, including Arkansas and Colorado and Mississippi even, um, on preparing teachers for teaching literacy 
Um, you know, I think that's a big part of why we're ranked 50th in literacy as a state. Um, and at the end of the day, if if kids can't get that basic literacy teaching and training and learn how to read at an early age, that's going to affect them through their entire academic journey. And so that's something that I, I look forward to working on this year as well, as I really want to do more as a state on on improving literacy. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think uh, you're on the education committee here, and uh, I think you were on a school board previously before yeah, you were yeah. in the legislature. So uh, happy to work with you on that. <laughs> I, I know you're the expert. I'll let you take the lead this time. <laughs> no, it's all good. I thought I thought it was great. I just feel bad because when you brought the bill up in committee, I was not there. And uh, could not join you for that, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, kind I, of abandoned you. I, I had you in my remarks and everything. I think I said, uh, and I'll be directing all the tough questions to uh, my joint author, Assemblymember Hoover. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, we had. We and then had I to... didn't show up. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was unfortunate. You know, it's crazy. So I don't know about you, but they, they made some committee changes over this last, mm-hmm. you know, since the last year. And I'm now on seven different policy committees. And a lot of them are at the same time and in different buildings. So I just find myself like I had that only crazy. on uh, one instance last year, but I, I had rev and tax the same time I had transportation. And yeah, okay. same yeah. time, different buildings. You're running back and forth trying to get to both of them, and it is challenging. Some so days no it does not work very well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you're familiar with this issue, but I've been talking with some uh, – uh, there was a story in the Chronicle about Attorney General Rob Bonta joining a call for – the federal government to rein in robocalls, particularly AI-generated scams. I don't know if you've been hearing about this, but I did a scam stopper event recently in my district, and we talked about this. And I talked to this woman um, in my uh, one of my communities that uh, said that she got scammed out of over seven thousand dollars because uh, a voice called her on the phone that sounded exactly like her son said that he had been in a car accident, he needed this money. Uh, she sent the money, and it was just a complete made-up scam, mm-hmm. uh, gen- you know, AI-generated scam. And that is really terrifying. I mean, we know robocalls, we know phishing, we know these things that have kind of like clicking on bad links, stuff like that has been around. But this new like level of scamming, I think particularly for people that aren't familiar with the technology, it's it's a huge problem. Yeah, you know, it's a serious issue. Actually, I'll share with you, Um, I was on a flight up here to Sacramento, and you know, you can kind of get texting yeah. on the flight on Southwest and I'm getting these texts from my mom and she goes, call me, call me, call me. And I, as soon as I get off the plane, I call her, what's going on, mom? And she goes, you need to call your granddad right now. He thinks you're stuck in Mexico and you need $15,000. Oh um, so he, and she's, you know, he's about to wire the money, but he thought, you know, I, I should just call and, and check. Um, and yeah, sure enough, it was the same sort of situation oh where they're able to make, make a voice copy that sounds similar enough to me to make him think that, oh gosh, I, I got to help my grandson out. Um, fortunately, we were able to prevent that from happening, but it is, it is a, a serious concern. Actually, um, you know, down in my district, we do this uh, event every year called the Desert Town Hall Speaker Series. And they okay. always have, you know, a, a diverse lineup of speakers. There's four events. Last year, uh, my wife and I were able to go see Frank Abagnale, the uh, Catch Me If You Can guy yeah, from yeah, the Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio movie. And, uh, you know, he knows a thing or two about, about scamming. For sure. Yeah. And so now he's, uh, you know, on the other side of it, trying yeah. to give people the tools to, to be aware of, uh, of these scams. But he was sharing with us that they've got, um, the ability now to crawl through your social media with all the information we put online and they can kind of put together these packages. So not only do they have the ability to create a voice that sounds yeah. like you, 
but they know things about your life. They can throw things in there. You know, it was nice golfing with you last week. And, you know, you don't even think about it. Why would I think that that could possibly not be, you know? So it's something we really do need to address. And I just, you know, it's going to, it's a a problem that's going to continue to get worse. Yeah, no, it's, it's a huge problem. And I think, um, you know, right now in our districts, I mean, we're just trying to raise awareness of this, right? Because it's important for people to know, like, hey, if any of this stuff happens to you, like, yeah, call the person, right? Make sure that it's legitimate. Call them back and make sure it's legitimate. Don't just, you know, take it. Because, but it's kind of sad that you have to do that, that you have to, like, mistrust these things so much. But um, Yeah, and I, and I, you know, I think the AI discussion in the legislature this year is going to be it's going to be really interesting, right? Is, because yeah. obviously artificial intelligence has the ability to, you yeah. know, have all these positive impacts on our society yep. and advancing, um, you know, the quality of life for Californians and Americans and uh, really everyone as as a whole, but how, how you deal with it so that it can't be used, to, yeah. used in a negative way and what policies are in place so we don't, you know, have, yeah. obviously we're California, right? We've got Silicon Valley. We want to, we want to be uh, at the forefront here. But we got to make sure that uh, we protect consumers as well. Yeah, it's going to be a big year, I think. And we'll talk more in future podcasts, I'm sure, about the specific bills. But it, I think there's going to be a lot of bills on AI this year. Um, you know, I think it's a valid conversation. I, I worry that none of us are really experts on this topic. And so, like, uh, you know, when you have a bunch of state legislators getting together to talk about these things, you know, we don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of everything. That's but, why I asked ChatGPT to write a bill to regulate itself, but uh, it told me it wasn't a good idea to regulate it. Okay, well, I'm I'm actually not surprised that ChatGPT kind of wasn't a fan of that idea. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, I think this idea, though, of and I, I introduced a resolution last year. It hasn't um, gone all the way through yet, but it's um, a resolution on the uh, Silomar principles that were adopted a few years back um, on the creation of, you know, responsible AI, making mm-hmm. sure that, yes... AI has many applications that are are very good potentially for technology and humanity, but on just like a lot of things, right? There's really good things, and then there's really bad things, and it can be used for really bad purposes. And how do we how do we balance those so that we we uh, have a responsible adoption of of AI? And um, I think hopefully that'll continue to guide the discussion. But it is. It is going to be a hot topic this year, and um, I think we're going to see at least five to ten bills probably from our colleagues on this topic. I would imagine so. So So, uh, enough of the recap. You know, we'll look ahead a little bit now on, I mean, I guess we kind of already are with AI, but we'll look ahead at some of the other big issues I think that are coming towards us. And, um, you know, the first question that I've been asking myself a lot lately is, is this finally the year that we reform Proposition 47? Obviously, Proposition 47 being the initiative passed by voters, uh, you know, about a decade ago now, actually, that um, reduced uh, penalties for shoplifting, um, really reduced penalties for a lot of different crimes, uh, from felonies to misdemeanors, and made it really difficult uh, to prosecute um, some of the, the the retail theft that we're seeing across our communities. Uh, is this finally the year? What do you think? What have you been hearing? Yeah, I mean, I know there's a couple of efforts going on um, in the assembly right now, and and I know that uh, that my belief is the appetite in the legislature is there. I I'm not entirely sure where the administration is. I know yeah. that you know yeah. in the governor's budget, um, what was that last week, two weeks yeah. ago now, 
uh, it sounds like that, you know, the administration may be looking at a different approach. And so, I, you know, I think we'll get a bill to his desk. I think we'll be able to hopefully work with him and, yeah. and find something there. But, yeah, it definitely <clears throat> seems like uh, the legislature wants to take action and, and in a bipartisan way, which is, you know, how we need to address it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, a number of, including myself, you know, I introduced a bill last year, AB 75, um, to, to reform Proposition 47. I know a number of our colleagues did the same. Those were all shot down in the Public Safety Committee last year. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting how quickly, you know, things change. And I think, um, you know, so this was fascinating, this quote the other day from San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria. So he gave his State of the City address, and he used to be in the legislature, a more uh, left-leaning member of their caucus. And he gave his State of the City address the other day, and he said, we should be locking up criminals, not laundry detergent. Which sounds like something you'd hear on from from like you know a Republican. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's what you're hearing on on talk radio right now, right? Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I'm just uh, I was really kind of thankful to hear that. I think it's it's great to hear someone finally acknowledge that. Yeah, it's not okay that they're locking up laundry detergent and toothpaste and socks and some uh, targets are even locking up socks now. I mean, it's crazy, right? Yeah, I, um, and and it's having an impact on economies as well because yeah. I mean, look, candidly, I'm not going to go walk around and have a what personal shopper with. How do you even do this? I don't know. We don't have anything locked up in my district just yet, but yeah. up here in Sacramento, I just went to the neighborhood yeah. Target store and man, you're just trying to get some deodorant and toothpaste, and you got to go yep. find someone, have them yep. open it up. It's easier to just order it on Amazon, and uh, you know you have to imagine that has an impact, a negative impact on totally. uh, some of these brick and mortar stores and retailers. So. I, I think it's on us to to make a change here, and I, and I really am hopeful that there's an yeah. appetite this year to move forward on it. No, I agree. I think it was really interesting. Uh, some people I've heard like don't believe this that they're locking this stuff up. They're like, no, that's just that's not that's not real. It's like, well, not not in every community, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, my district is kind of similar to yours, where we we haven't really gone that route yet. There mm-hmm. hasn't been a need for it, but there are districts, uh, particularly in some of the more uh, populated areas that are are doing that that's like a real thing and uh it's um yeah it really it really shouldn't be that way and i'm glad to see that there's this bipartisan consensus forming um so my bill from last year would have um uh, actually allowed a higher penalty so like a felony or jail time for um someone who is caught doing this multiple times so like a serial theft offender yeah. right which is really a lot of the problem is that you can steal from one store, that's one offense. Then you can go to another store and do it again. That's also a misdemeanor. So you can never you can't add them up. They they don't carry over and so you can keep committing these crimes over and over again. My bill attempted to address that was voted down in the public safety committee, but later today we're recording this on Monday. Um uh, I'm actually doing a press conference with uh, Assemblymember Ramos. Um it's it, who is now introduced almost the same bill, which mm-hmm. I just think is fascinating like you know, um, someone on the other side of the aisle willing to introduce this bill that I fought for last year, I'm very thankful for. So I'm going to be joining him to uh, to kind of talk about this more and really support that effort. But I think it, it's a really good sign. So Yeah, and, I, you know, it's important that we take a balanced approach here. Obviously, you know, the concerns of the majority party <clears throat> that we hear all the time are we don't want to criminalize poverty. And I don't think that's what we want to do. But you're starting to see, you know, organized retail theft at, at such a scale that, 
um, we, you know, we do need to give law enforcement the tools to keep our communities safe and keep our businesses safe. And so I, I think working in a bipartisan manner to get something like this done is, is the exact right approach. And I uh, appreciate that you're going to be yeah. working on it with Assemblymember Ramos. That's yeah, great. I'm excited about that. And I think uh, to your point about the administration and where are they, I think that is a valid concern. Uh, there's also talk of a ballot initiative, right, that mm-hmm. could be going on the ballot to reform Proposition 47. That might give, you know, legislators and the governor the the necessary incentives, right, to actually do something real. Yeah. And so um, time will tell on that, but we'll report back uh, at a future podcast, I'm sure. Um, so uh, also, you know, another story that's coming uh, towards us. Uh, so there is this new monthly fixed charge on electricity that was passed a couple years back. It's in the works, uh, particularly would impact investor-owned utility customers. So, you know, your larger electric utilities, um, it would shift more costs from uh, to customers based on how much they make versus how much they actually use. Uh, and, and so it's going to base uh, some of these charges more on an in- income-based formula. Uh, so, so for some folks, it is going to raise their rates. Uh, and, and their bills, uh, their mm-hmm. energy bills. And for other folks, um, I, I think everyone's actually going to see an increase in, in this fixed charge. But, um, you know, I think it's a lot of people are going to see an increase on their bill. That's something that I'm super concerned about as we as we get closer to this being implemented. It's not has not been implemented yet, but it is something that I think people should be aware of. And I think it's a conversation the legislature is going to have this year as well. One, well, you know, just for the record, this was passed before you and I were here. Correct. Right? Correct. So it was not something that we supported. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, look, California's got an affordability crisis and it's driven by two things. It's driven by housing costs and by energy costs. Yep. And, you know, we're, we're continuing to see that um, energy bills are making it more challenging for folks to make ends meet here. And, you know, if you, if these are kitchen table issues that I think are just on so many people's minds, whether it's, you know, the cost of gasoline, the cost of your electricity bill. Uh, in my district, particularly, it gets it gets pretty warm in the summer. I think, you know, we've yeah. got days up to 120 degrees. And, um, you know, you just need to make sure that you, you can keep the house at a livable temperature here without yeah. breaking the bank. And you'll see bills that are more than your mortgage. And you're just like, wow, how do you know, how do you make that happen? So, you know, continuing so to true. increase costs, there's something we really need to be cognizant of. Um, and, you know, just philosophically, I'm opposed to this approach, right? I don't know that we should be looking at people's – I have a million questions about implementation, about how this is going to actually work. <laughs> right, are we right. self-reporting this? Are we um, having – What do I need to submit my tax return into my yeah. utility company to get service? You know, not sure that uh, that's that's as well thought out as it should have been. Um, but just philosophically, I don't know that we should be punishing people for, you know, being higher income earners in, in this state and – um, you know, it seems to me that with electricity use or energy use, you know, you should pay for what you use. That's a, right. that's a pretty fair way to way to do it. It's a very fair way to do it. And it's interesting because we already have a lot of great low income programs, right, for yeah. uh, people um, that need more assistance. There's a lot of assistance programs already in place to help keep um, the cost lower for low income residents. Um, you know, this one, it's really interesting. There's different proposals, but one of them would raise uh, non-low income uh, so uh, um, users by as much as fifty one dollars a month on their bill. Which, to your point, I mean, another fifty bucks when you're already potentially, you know, spending hundreds or thousands in some cases of dollars, depending on what time of year it is or where you live. Um, well, and that's a really, ton of money. That's really the 
the thing about it, right? I mean, you know, if it's an income-based thing, but you live in the Silicon Valley or you live in Los Angeles yeah. and you've got high housing costs and you're, you know, yeah, you, you make a good salary on paper, but, you know, reality is in certain areas of California, you're probably not living a, a whole lot better than uh, folks who are making significantly less in other areas. Yeah, and so is that a really point. a fair approach? No, it's a good point. And that's why I really do like the kind of the use-based approach because it also is an incentive, right, to lose use less energy uh, to keep your bill down. And I think that's something that a lot of Californians have already adopted. So, uh, yeah, definitely something to be aware of. I actually plan on introducing a bill on this uh, in the next couple weeks probably, and so we'll we'll talk more about it in the future. But um, I really, uh, really do want to, to see if as a legislature we can uh, – we can talk about whether this is the right approach going forward. So, And I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think this was put in a budget trailer bill, right? It was, yeah. So it's not like Very this little through input. policy committees and no. it wasn't really vetted as well as maybe it should have been in my it opinion. It was shockingly little, like uh, transparency. Uh, it was barely in print for more than like the minimum three days, right, Yeah. before it was passed. Uh, really was kind of snuck under the under the radar, and and I feel like that's that that's really doing a disservice to Californians too because they couldn't even really weigh in on it. Um, exactly. Yeah. So. No, I don't. I don't think that's the right approach, and and we've seen it a few times, or got to see yeah. it a few times last year, where some of these uh, ideas that probably were more appropriate to be uh, done through a, a policy bill were you know put into a budget trailer bill. And yeah, you know, I, I think that's, yeah, exactly your point, a disservice to Californians and, uh, and yeah, happy to have another conversation about it. I think we should stop, stop doing policy in the budget. Right. Like, exactly. You know, it's exactly. Like, come on. Uh, yeah, definitely is not how it's supposed to work. So, um, yeah, I look forward to, to continuing that one. Um, we're going to move to our clip of the week. So we kind of had, I don't know, were you involved at all? Or did you hear from your local residents about this tackle football issue? Yeah, I heard, heard a lot from my local residents. I'm actually uh, the vice chair of arts, entertainment, oh, sports, yeah. and tourism. So that was the so committee went through. Yeah. I was there. Oh my I spoke gosh. on it. So you spoke on it. You also voted against it. You yeah. were one of the only people in the legislature that got a chance to do that. Yeah, one of one of two. Um, <laughs> no, and you know what? It's it's so interesting. I really appreciate the author. I've got a you know, yeah. good relationship with uh, Assemblymember McCarty there. And and what he's trying to do, I mean, we all want to keep kids safe Absolutely. and we want to protect them. And this idea of the, the concept of, that you know our kids could be getting CTE or contributing to CTE long term because they started these uh, tackle football programs at an early age – it's a valid concern. There's merits on both sides of this debate. Um, but, you know, we passed AB1. I think Sheriff yep. Cooper, you know, showed up and testified yep. to this. We've limited the amount of contact uh, kids can have. As someone who played Pop Warner since I was eight years old and <laughs> carried it into high school football, um, you know, I, I think there's just a ton of advantages from a safety side of things, yep. learning the the proper technique and proper form at, at an early age. Um, you know, not to mention all the other uh, numerous benefits of, of youth sports programs. But what what really made it a challenge for me was just the idea of singling out youth football. And I think Sheriff Cooper actually talked about this um, yep. and how this is accessible in a lot of disadvantaged communities. And it's an opportunity uh, out or an opportunity to, to be successful and find totally. success. Um, and, you know, I don't really understand why we would just look at football. What about boxing? What about hockey what about lacrosse i mean even soccer and they all have the same sort of concussion rates totally. that you're seeing so yep. i i just think that you know we obviously want to have these conversations where we're going to continue to try and improve youth sports we're, we're all supportive of that i think yeah. an outright ban was too far and that was that was sort of what i said in my comments and 
uh, you know, I, I'm appreciative that the author pulled the bill and that we're going to be able to continue to have conversations about how we can keep kids safer without outright banning an activity. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is uh, we, we all care about safety. That's why, you know, the legislature a few years back passed the uh, the California Youth Football Act to limit, you know, uh, co- full contact practices and kind of put in some new safety regulations and things like that. And I think that is the better way to go than an outright ban. For those that aren't familiar with the bill, this bill attempted to ban um, youth football under the age of 12, which, um, again, you know, obviously a lot of community members were not supportive of. And so um, when when that when that bill was proposed and then obviously the committee heard it, um, we put together this little press conference last week, and I think it really reemphasizes the point that you just made. So we'll play this clip, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. I grew up in a really rough part of East Bakersfield called East Bakersfield. It's the type of neighborhood where you fight yourself or you fight to and from school, and I mean every day. On my block, and I, I say this to you as a retired California State peace officer and someone who works at the Capitol periodically, I say to you that on my block, there were three young men. Please, if you hear anything today, hear this. One of those young men was tragically murdered. That doesn't always show up in the stat sheet. The other young man doing life in prison. The third young man is speaking to you today. Football has not just changed my life. Football has saved my life, just as it will across this country and as it has for a hundred years. So obviously, you know, a lot of emotion there for someone that was really positively impacted by the game of football. But I think, you know, just emphasizing this idea that, you know, when you take these opportunities away from kids, um, you're potentially, you know, taking away something that could really help them in their life as well. So... Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, it had a youth football had a, a you know tremendously positive impact on my life, and you know these are lifelong bonds you yeah. make. I actually actually had the opportunity to call my uh, my youth football coach about this bill. That's and awesome. I hadn't talked to him in probably ten years, and uh, he's still coaching. He's coaching high school football now down wow. at uh, Bellarmine in uh, you know San Jose area. Um, but you know what was interesting that I actually wasn't aware of um, is the safety measures that have gone into place even since when I played, um, yeah. there's, you know, coaching's an important part of it, right? Teaching kids how to tackle properly. I think uh, it's called the heads up tackling program that coaches have to be certified in now. Um, it, it was important for us to, uh, you know, bring safety uh, to the forefront of the game. It's obviously a violent sport. And, uh, you know, I, I think this discussion is, um, you know, something that doesn't need to be so polarized. And we're, we're all working in the same direction. We all want the same things. But just a ban's not the best approach. And yeah. taking those opportunities away from uh, from so many kids is, isn't ideal. And, I'm, you know, I, I hate to say this. Well, maybe I don't. But we're agreeing <laughs> with the governor a lot today. I mean, I know he, we know? are agreeing with the governor a lot today. So the governor came out and, and helped us out. I mean, he really did give an assist to killing this bill, which was, um, you know, he came out right before our press conference and said he would veto the bill if it made it to his desk. My take at the press conference was, hey, let's make sure it doesn't get to his desk, right? Let's stop it here. And I was thankful to see the author pulled the bill um, prior to, you know, basically saying it's not going to move forward this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think a big victory for all the families and the coaches and, the and you know, obviously the athletes that came out 
in opposition. Oh, and um, they came up to testify. Oh, I know. It yeah. was great. It was awesome. I mean, so many, you know, uh, so many people came to the Capitol to, to make their voices heard, which I was really thankful to see. Um, and thankful to see that they got a win that quickly. Usually you don't see it happen that quickly, right? Yeah. So um, I thought it was really good. But, um, you know, to, to your point, I know you mentioned uh, Sheriff Cooper spoke, which is actually the sheriff in my county, Sacramento mm-hmm. County, um, in opposition to the bill. And one of the points he brought up is concussion rates for other sports are very similar, right? So it's, you know, obviously football, I think, is an especially uh, high-contact sport. Um, and there's safety protocols there that we need to implement or that have been implemented. But, um, you know, my son plays basketball, right? He got clocked in the head at a game a couple weeks ago, broke his nose. I mean, just like, I mean, there are a lot of brutal sports, right? And and that's yeah. the reality of well, it. Well, and, and I mean, there's an inherent risk in any activity that kids are going to be exactly. doing, whether it's, yeah. you know, riding their bike down the street or participating in sports. And is it really appropriate for the legislature to come in with this sort of broad approach, one size fits all ban on, on one of these activities? I, you know, I, I don't think so. Um, I think there's better ways to address safety. So I'm, I'm glad to see that's yeah. the direction that we're going to be heading in. No, I was thankful. And I think, yeah, at the end of the day, it's it's really parents that need to be making these decisions, you know, not not the government. Mm-hmm. And um, and, and I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we were able to uh, to get this victory for them. So um, or to help get this victory for them. So before I let you go, I got to ask about the NFL playoffs, because, I mean, your team is out, but. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, but you know, I just, I'm a Raiders work. fan. I'm used to it. <laughs> I mean, you guys are in a little, I mean, you got a nice stadium, so you it's got a very that. nice stadium. And, have and you been out there? The, I haven't. No, I haven't. Oh, you got to get out there. And you're hosting the Super Bowl this year, right? Yeah. Legion or whatever. Yeah. So, well, maybe if, cool. uh, maybe if your Niners make it, you can make a trip. <laughs> I've actually thought about that. I'm like the, the idea of spending that much money to go to the Super Bowl is like, just completely foreign to me. I don't even know what I would do. I looked at tickets to go to the NFC Championship game this weekend, and and they're not even that bad. And I'm like, eh, I'd just watch it on TV. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> you guys are in the NFC Championship game, so that's, that's exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. So did you watch any football over the weekend? Or? I did. I was worried about your boys there for a little bit, but uh, but they pulled it off at the end. That was great. That was one of the most stressful uh, football games I've seen in a while. Well, I mean, you know, and I don't know any Bills fans, but I imagine they felt that their game was fairly stressful as well. And, you know, so so what are we going to have? We're going to have uh, the Chiefs so, and yeah, the Ravens. Yeah, so it's going to be Ravens-Chiefs next weekend and then uh, Lions, Niners, 49ers. Lions, yeah. I, so. You know, I'm excited. I'm stoked for Lions fans. I know. <laughs> I, I, just as a fan of a perennially bad team, <laughs> it is really exciting to see them, uh, yeah. you know, advance as far as they have. Well, it's crazy. So in, over the weekend, you know, there were three teams – uh, in the playoff picture still that have never won a Super Bowl. The Bills, the Lions, and the Texans, I think. And two of them got eliminated. So the Lions, they're keeping the hope alive. Keeping you know? the hope alive. Sadly, the Niners are going to have to dash that hope on Sunday. But, uh, you know, uh, and, and I will not feel sorry about that. All right, so what are your predictions then? Who who makes it oh, I think I think it'll be Ravens-Niners. Ravens-Niners. Yeah. But, you know, you can never count, count Patrick Mahomes out. I mean, that guy is just a winner, right? And so... You know, him and Kelsey and Taylor Swift, they might bring it home for Kansas City. Like, you just never know. I was wondering if we were going to get that. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you saw, but I think one of my favorite moments from the football games over the weekend was a drunk Jason Kelsey in in the box, like shirtless. Shirtless. With the beer. Yeah. And just yelling for, I mean, one of the most hilarious things that I saw. Like, 
It was that was just so funny. So, uh, it, and it was snowing, right? I it was. I don't it remember. Was, was it snow? It was probably very cold. It was yeah, cold. I would assume in uh, in Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being a Palm Springs guy here, I can't <laughs> imagine how uh, how he was feeling, but. Man, uh, I just I can't imagine going watching a football game in Buffalo. Period. But uh, but yeah, it's um, it was a fun time. So go Niners, hoping hoping for the best there. But you know, um, maybe the Raiders will get there again one day. Uh, let's once, hope uh, once they figure out their quarterback situation. Um, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, any final thoughts before we before we head out? Just appreciate you having me on. I think this is a, this is a really cool podcast and yeah, getting fun. to have a conversation <laughs> about what's going on. So I'm um, looking forward to working with you this year and yeah. glad to be back up in session. Likewise. No, really looking forward to it. Uh, nothing to announce this week. If you got ideas for future shows, you can email pointoforderpod at gmail.com. You can uh, follow the uh, podcast on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at pointoforderpod. And you can also follow the host today on Twitter or X. I keep I still call it Twitter. I don't I'm really bad at this. You know, I almost I called it point retrained. of order on, you know, the name of your yeah. podcast on Mr. Uh, Assemblymember Joe Patterson when he called it Twitter on the floor. <laughs> I thought that would have been funny. Point that of order. That would have been X. really funny because I almost never call it X on this podcast. Uh, but at Joshua underscore Hoover for me on X and then uh, at Greg R. Wallace. Uh, what's your which, which do you prefer people follow you at? Greg R. Wallace is good. Or? Yeah. That, yeah. That one's great. Cool. Yeah. So. Uh, follow us on X. You know, we try to keep people updated on what's going on too on there. But um, uh, yeah, appreciate you coming out, and we'll see you next time. Yep, thanks for having me on.